Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by CLNS Media. Today on the show, Coles Wicker's here. We are going to do some discussion about Anthony Davis. We are going to also break down this 2019 NBA draft by running through a mock draft. Uh, I don't know. How many do you want to go through, Cole? What, what pick do we want to go through? Do we want to do all 30 first round picks or do we want to like just kind of try and limit it? Do we want to play it by year in terms of time? What are you thinking? Yeah, we can play it by year a little bit. I think when you're getting down into the latter half of the first round, it's going to be a crapshoot. I mean, it could be a crapshoot even when we get to four. So I think going through the lottery and then maybe doing a lightning round effect might, might be the best recourse here. So uh, we're presented today by LinkedIn uh, Talent Solutions. But before we get to them... Let's talk about the Anthony Davis deal. So Anthony Davis traded for Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, the number four pick in this draft, uh, two additional first round picks that are 2021 and 2023, correct, Cole? Yes, I believe so. 2021 is reverse protected, top eight, and then it turns into an unprotected 2022 pick, if not conveyed. And 2022 is expected to be the year when one and duns are available and potentially Imani Bates is going to be available as a one and done. Uh, so, and then there are pick swaps. There's a 2025 pick swap. I know that, right? Um, is there also a 2023? There's a swap in 2023 and 2025 looks like the right to defer the 2024. There is an updated um, design of this. So I, I think that's what it is. Unprotected first 2024 with a right to defer to 2025. And then additionally, we'll just note at the top here, there's some uh, uncertainty about when the trade is going to go through. If it goes through on the 6th, and if Anthony Davis takes his full $4 million trade bonus, the Lakers only have $23 million in cap space. Uh, If they do it on the 30th, and Anthony Davis... uh, does not take his full money. It's like 32, right, in terms of cap space? Yeah, that's correct, because that would they'd wait for the number four pick to sign in that 30 days to expire, and then they could use him in a trade so they could sign like a Kemba Walker with their space and then go over the cap with their signings and then trade that for Anthony Davis. So that's kind of what you see with the disconnector. So this is one of those things that we'll talk about a little bit later on because I don't want to belabor the point of it being like kind of insane that this wasn't apparently worked out ahead of time, but let's just talk about the deal in general. So when this deal happens, my initial reaction was, Hey, this makes sense for everyone involved. The Lakers get their superstar player that they needed to get to surround LeBron James with the Pelicans did as well as they could have possibly done in a deal with Anthony Davis. I mean, this seems just like kind of the easy thing, right? I think from a conceptual standpoint, you knew that the Lakers had to do this. For me, I was just waiting for the pick protections to get announced. I'm always doing that because it can seem like a great deal initially. And then you look at what the protections are, what the future, if they're unprotected and like how many years and what drafts, like, you know, 2022 being a high priority draft. So my initial thought was, I love it for New Orleans. I I thought the Lakers deal was the best deal out there. If Boston wasn't going to include Tatum in that Memphis pick, I I thought that that New Orleans did really well from the face of it. But again, you were waiting to see the pick protections and just how in detail this got and, you know, how much of the Lakers future did, did they sacrifice and what was the risk with that? Man, honestly, given everything that they got from the Lakers, I don't know that the Celtics could have topped this unless they included both Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown plus the Memphis pick like 
It's, they got a lot from the Lakers here. And like, I don't, again, like everyone is, you know, kind of rushing to say that, you know, this is a bad deal or something for the Lakers. I mean, it is a deal that has downside on the back end for the Lakers, like no question. But look, anytime you make a deal and make yourself the uh, Vegas favorite to win the NBA championship next year, and I would imagine that that's not going to change in free agency. Like, I think that you just kind of have to do it, right? Like, it's just kind of one of those deals where if you can really open your window wide while you have LeBron James for the next three years, and I'm assuming they're going to have Anthony Davis for the next three years as well, um, the kind of contract structure that makes sense most for Anthony Davis from here is signing uh, a two plus one in free agency next summer with the Lakers because after two or after this year, plus two more years with the Lakers, Anthony Davis will then be eligible for a 35% uh, max structure. So I'm kind of looking at this as a three-year window for the Lakers. Basically, if they can win a title in those three years, this deal is a win for them, uh, regardless of what happens on the back end with, these picks right if they don't win a title this deal is has potential to look really bad for them ultimately though i think it's a reasonable thing to do i agree i think you can't lose sight of it's anthony davis and lebron james you have two top 10 players if lebron is still even remotely himself which i think he can get to that level when he needs to and that considering how wide open the West is now with the Warriors. We don't know what Kawhi is going to do in the East. There's a lot of movement, and I think if you have those that infrastructure, the deal is defensible. It all comes down to the timing of it, though. Like you said, if they win a title, it looks good, but you have to optimize the chances of doing that. So if the trade is going to be completed July 6th and you can't get yeah. that third max guy, that's the key here. If like if the, if the timing's right, if it ends up being reported that they're going to wait until you know July 30th or whatnot, then I could see this trade as being a lot more defensible for the Lakers. But if they don't do that, then they're not doing what you said. They're not giving their timeline in the next three years with LeBron uh, the best chance to succeed. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Uh, I mean, there's been some discussion about how do you think the Lakers would best use their cap space regardless of if it's 30 million or 32 million or 23 million would you go about trying to sign an all-star or would you go about kind of filling out with multiple different pieces i think i'd go after the star i'd go after the third guy whether that's kemba walker jimmy butler i don't think they're getting Kawhi, but i would go after the third star and then try to fill in the gaps as far as ancillary pieces i think with the destination market and the allure of playing next to lebron i think they can get some minimum guys that are obviously better than what they got last offseason uh, more shooting so i, I would go the th- i would always take the stars for the most part unless you can really break it down to elite role players but i have to see who those are like danny green plus somebody else that would be intriguing but i want that third creator especially that second perimeter creator yeah there are just enough uh mechanisms within the salary cap now to where i think you can get uh competent level role players nowadays you can use your exceptions to find guys that are willing to take discounts that are valuable i agree with you i I would go out and try and sign kemba i would go out and try and sign um you know jimmy butler or whoever the problem is that in the case of kemba for instance now that he made all nba kemba even if it's 27 and a half million dollars say the deal goes through on july 6th and anthony davis declines his trade bonus because the Lakers 
and Spring Hill Entertainment decide to give Anthony Davis a $4 million bonus for starring in Space Jam 2. Let's, <laughs> let's throw that idea out there for fun, as if it is the, uh, uh, the Tom Brady school of getting ancillary income from your football playing abilities while not counting against the salary cap. Uh, the most that the Lakers can offer him at a $27.5 million cap is uh, $118 million. The Hornets can offer $221 million over five years. Like, yep. I don't think there's – look, Kemba Walker wants to win, and Kemba Walker, you know, I think wants to be a guy that uh, – or I think Kemba Walker would work as a guy next to LeBron James as well. He played off ball, I think, a little bit more than what people think this year uh, whenever he played with Tony Parker. So this is not a situation that I think wouldn't work. Um I just don't see a way that Kemba Walker can pass up $100 million. Like, can, can someone realistically pass up nine <laughs> figures of guaranteed income? I don't think he, honestly, like, I don't think he's going to pass up nine figures because I don't think the Hornets are going to offer him the full max. But, like, can yeah. you even pass up, let's call it, let's say they offer him 185 or something, 195 or something like that. I don't think he can pass up $70 million of guaranteed income. I mean, when you're staring down that kind of money, it becomes a lot harder. It, it's easy to say from 30,000 feet and say, oh, their athletes getting paid all of this. Like maybe they sacrifice this much. But when you're looking at $70 million difference, I mean, any reasonable person in the situation would take the money. Yeah. So I'll be very interested to see what the Lakers do in regard to building out. I will be very interested to see just how this kind of offense works with LeBron. Um, People have been kind of saying, is Anthony Davis the best teammate LeBron has ever had? I think you can make a case for that. I think that having Anthony Davis around is really going to help insulate LeBron defensively. Uh, As he gets up in age, LeBron's defensive uh, intent, we'll call it, has diminished just because he has to take care of his body a little bit more. Having Anthony Davis around is going to kind of cover up for a lot of those holes. Having said that, though, like Anthony Davis is a big man. And as we've seen, this is a perimeter oriented league now where guys uh, need to initiate their own offense. And Anthony Davis can do a little bit of that. Like, look, I'm not saying that he's a guy solely dependent upon others. Like he can go two dribbles to the basket and get there from the three point line. And no one can really stop him from doing that. But he's not as creative as, say, even a Kawhi Leonard or a, uh, I mean, like, he's not even like Draymond Green creative in terms of offense. He's better than Draymond Green offensively because he's just longer and more athletic and um, a better shooter. And, like, he can do more things. But just in terms of creatively creating offense, that's a really bad way to phrase it. You know, he's not quite what you want from, like, a superstar player. Yeah, that's definitely fair. I mean, all bigs, to a certain extent, in the modern game are dependent players. I think think LeBron's going to put him into positions to succeed, but it's not like Anthony Davis is Chris Bosh as a three-point shooter. Like, it's going to be a little bit more, you know, diving to the rim, catching in advantage situations. I think Davis is obviously coordinated and fluid enough putting the ball on the floor, but it's more in, like, an advantage setting than it is in, like, a straight face-up setting. Um, Quick question for you, though. As far as this deal overall for the Lakers before we get to the Pelican side, like who do you think the Lakers were bidding against if they didn't get this time sensitive component as far as July 30th? Because I can see them paying a little bit extra for that time, right? Like that makes sense factored into the deal. If they didn't get that and this trade gets completed July 6th, who are they bidding against? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't really know. 
because I don't <laughs> think Boston was going to offer. I mean, let's say, let's say Boston offers Jason Tatum in the Memphis pick, right? I don't know that they would have done that, but let's say that they do that. So it's Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, the Memphis pick, and then like other lower level interesting prospects like Robert Williams, Shimmy Ojale, et cetera, right? Yeah. So is that enough to get the Lakers to where they got to? I don't think so. And I think that it speaks to, I want to be careful how I say this. It speaks to potentially Rob Polinka's inexperience in doing like massive star breaking deals, right? Like the, these, these deals are complicated. And like the fact that they didn't have the date, um, the fact that the Lakers couldn't even get the date uh, that they needed in this deal, uh, just immediately from the jump, kind of says a lot to me, right? Especially uh, when yes. you're giving up as much as you gave up as Rob Polinka in this deal. Um, you gave up three first-round picks, including the fourth overall pick. You gave up literally, I mean, like, maybe this is what the Pelicans decided. Like, hey, if you refuse to put Kyle Kuzma in this deal, we are taking everything from you. We are going full Eduardo Saverin in the social network. I am coming for everything. Like... <laughs> This is maybe, maybe that was what was happening. And, you know, Rob Palenka at the end of the day had to agree um, because like on some level, look, the odds are that Rob Palenka will probably not be the general manager of the Los Angeles Lakers in 2025. Right. And I don't mean that to say out of ineptitude. I mean that to say, look, the shelf life on a typical general manager is what, yep. like five years, six years, probably. And we be coming up on that level at that stage. So I think that he's making this deal now to be the guy that brought LeBron James and Anthony Davis to the Lakers and is now the guy that is uh, potentially bringing them a championship and not giving a shit about what happens later. Yeah, that's definitely fair. And he hasn't had the most inspiring start to this tenure as far as lasting to 2025. And that's being delicate. I think that's objectively fair. Yeah, this, honestly, do you, I, I don't think he's been very good so far. Yeah. But like I, I'm looking at this and trying to think of it from the rosiest possible picture because I think sure. that that is what is fair to him. Yeah, that's fair. And I think I'm just going by the information that we have from all reports out of Boston they never put Tatum on the table with how fluid Kyrie's situation is. We don't know about the Memphis pick. I look around See, the league. People- Zach Lowe and Ramona Shelburne, Ramona this weekend and Zach Lowe today, said that they seem to think Jason Tatum was not off the table. Okay. Yeah, so it's, Which it's hard to know. interesting. Like, yeah. Yeah, we, we never really know out of Boston because like, they'll leak certain things and it's, it's hard to place. So it, it, I don't really know. I don't know what the factors were. I just know that for the price that the Lakers paid, I think there had to be more of an imminent threat. So maybe that existed. Um, but if they didn't get this time-sensitive orientation on the deal, they didn't get July 30th, I, I do think they overpaid just from an outside perspective with the knowledge we know. Some people said that, you know, Denver should have jumped in. I think that would have made sense, but I still think the Lakers move and the Lakers trade outbids them considerably for what they could offer. Cause I'm, I don't think the Denver is going to tie up their future picks. Um, I don't think they're even able to. So if you look around the league, it's just like, I, I don't know where this threat was coming from. If the Lakers didn't get exactly what they wanted short term. Uh, I mean, like if Denver was willing to trade Jamal Murray and Michael Porter and you know, what who uh, whatever picks they needed and Malik Beasley and Wancho like yeah I think they probably could have topped the deal but that's just not the way that front office operates 
Oh, I don't think that tops the Lakers deal even close. I, I don't think that's even in consideration. But I'm, I'm a little lower on Murray, I guess. But Michael Porter is a total wild card at this juncture sure. as far as health. Like, he's who knows? Like, Michael Beasley's nice. Gary Harris is nice. Um, whatever they would have offered. But the Lakers deal was, I mean, look, the pick capital that they ended up giving yeah, up is just true. ridiculous. Yeah, it's fair. I mean, I think I'm a little bit higher on the way that I look at it, I guess, is that Jamal Murray to me would be like pretty substantially the best asset in that deal. Uh, among the players, right? Like, unless you're that high on Lonzo. I think it's fair. That's a little bit eye of the beholder. I think you you can have some people that are higher on Ingram, higher on Lonzo. I think Murray has done the most at this juncture, and he shoots the ball. So he's going to have, I think he's going to have more perceptive value when it comes to these executives. Right. So, and then like Malik Beasley and Michael Porter Jr. are, to me, like definitely assets that I would rather have than Josh Hart, even as someone that is high on Josh Hart. That, that's fair. Um, and then Wancho is an interesting player. And then like, depending on what the pick capital is, who knows, right? I mean, traditionally, if they were, if the Nuggets would have been willing to send out like pick capital, um, like 2022 and 2024 first round picks, right? I know that they have Jokic, but at the same time, like, I think that that offer could have topped the Lakers. I, again, like, I don't think the Nuggets would have done that just because the Nuggets don't operate like that. Like they're... Their goal right now seems to be to build a sustainable, like, winning basketball team in Denver because, like, look, I'm sorry, I don't mean to, like, make fun of Nuggets fans. They're a very, uh, you know, passionate bunch and they're a very, uh, they're a great bunch whenever, uh, I don't even want to say whenever the team is winning, but, like, they're, they're, they're a great group, the ones that are passionate about it, but, like, the Broncos dominate sports culture. In Denver. I mean, I lived there for what three or four months. Like it, you almost never hear about the Nuggets, and that sucks in general. Like uh, I hope that it's changed in the last year with the Nuggets being the two seed and everything. But I think that they fight that perpetual fight for in market stability. Yeah, that's definitely fair. And obviously, the Nuggets have their pick to Brooklyn. Um, 2019. So first pick they could have offered in if you deal now. Of course, the con- trade could be consummated later. Of course, like it was for the Lakers, but they didn't have. I mean, they could have done 2020. I don't know how much they would have realistically included. Like you noted, Are they really going to gut their future? Would they gut their backcourt to get Anthony Davis? Maybe. I, I would still take the Lakers deal personally, but uh, I-, I just didn't see an imminent threat on the horizon for the Lakers to really deal with if they didn't get exactly what they wanted. Again, because I feel like I can't hammer this home enough. They paid for. That interval of getting a third star, and if they don't get it, and that's not how the deal was structured, I think they get knocked considerably for that. Uh, so let's talk about the Pelicans. I think the Pelicans immediately become the most fun team in the NBA to watch. Like just straight oh, yes. up, um, Lonzo Ball and Drew Holiday is just such an incredibly fun fit in the backcourt. Um, to me personally, I think Lonzo is the best asset that New Orleans got because I think he is the best fit with what New Orleans has. Uh, Alvin Gentry really likes guards and really likes to push the ball uh, directly off of grab and goes. Lonzo is an elite level rebounder for a guard, obviously is a tremendous transition player, and he's got elite level running mates now in Zion Williamson and even Brandon Ingram to an extent is a very good running mate. Um despite the fact of like lack of traditional explosiveness that we associate with him. Drew Holiday, though, is a perfect fit for Lonzo because Drew can take over a lot of the late shot clock initiation, uh, a lot of the, you know, just general shot making qualities that Lonzo lacks right now. Uh, To me, given their defensive qualities, given the way they fit offensively, this is a 
perfect fit on paper for how uh the Pelicans should want to build a backcourt. It's really intriguing, of course, with the transition play. Lonzo being, you know, in my opinion, a top five hit ahead passer in the NBA, playing next to Zion, who might be the best leak out finisher we've seen in, in a while. I mean, of course, you have Giannis, but like in that same stratosphere of finisher there, so that's really intriguing. You can really push the pace. Uh, I, I like the fit with Drew Holiday and Lonzo. I think that's an awesome defensive backcourt. Uh, Lonzo is very, is very good on the ball, but he's better off the ball. Drew Holiday is probably one of the best on-ball defensive guards in the league. Yep. Point of attack defender. I think they're going to be a total nightmare um, with you know Zion on the back line defensively. We'll kind of see about the shooting. That's the one issue. You look at this roster and kind of some of the, the draft fits potentially at four. Do they have a guy that can come in and, and like provide some floor spacing for them? You know, Ingram, not the most reliable shooter. That's going to be kind of a crunch. Josh Hart, I think, is going to help there as far as his catch and shoot ability. He's a nice rotation player for them to add. I think he's going to have some value short term. So. I mean, just from a talent perspective, I'm a little higher on the Lakers guys, especially Lonzo, I think, in the right fit. Of course, he has to shoot, but if I feel like if he, if he shoots a catch-and-shoot shot, he's going to be pretty damn valuable on that team with his ball movement, quick decision-making. He's, he's someone who's going to optimize Zion as far as getting him the basketball. Yeah, no question. And I think that the big thing with... Uh Lonzo as well is that he is a better shooter off the catch than he is shooter off the dribble right now. Yes. Um, like I, I feel more confident with him knocking down shots off the catch. No question there. I think that his off-ball play, we've talked about this before, more of a transition point guard, half-court, secondary. He can do that on this team. So the front court, like, you know, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson deal, I'm a little bit more skeptical on that because, like, anytime we've seen Brandon Ingram be successful, it's when – the team is losing a lot of games and Brandon is this like high level initiator, right? But he hasn't been as successful so far in his career at playing off of other players. Yeah. And that part of it worries me because like, look, surprise, surprise. I mean, the, the Pelicans just acquired three guys uh, from the Lakers, right? But this roster is going to operate pretty similarly to how that Lakers roster did. Uh, just because you would think Zion's going to dominate a lot of the ball uh, as a forward scoring, you know, high level initiator, high level offensive creator. And then you still have the two guards in the backcourt. So Brandon is going to have to play off ball somewhat. You know what I mean? Like he, he really just kind of has to. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you look at the roster, there's a lot of, a lot of guys that I don't know if need the ball, but they're going to have it. And it's going to be more of an egalitarian system. It's not like Ingram's going to be playing like three, five pick and roll consistently. We don't know about the spacing from the five. Julius Randle's going to opt out. I don't think they should bring him back. I know that might be a popular consensus with some people, but I don't think can Zion fit very well as far as spacing the floor. You got to have someone who can really stretch for Zion to get those face up attack situations. I don't want to compare him to Giannis as a player. There's obviously differences, but I think you can look at similarities as far as utilization and getting that spacing to where Zion can really attack, use that hop, step, and face-up situation. So that's going to be the thing with me is, can this team figure out a way to space the floor uh, around guys like Lonzo, around Zion? you got to get, you know, three guys who can, who can space there. Yeah, no question. Um, I'm trying to think. Is there anything else? Is there anything else you want to talk about with this deal? I mean, we should talk about what the Pelicans are going to do with four, but we can wait for that in the mock draft, right? Yeah, yeah. For, for, as far as draft options, I would just say like, how they structured the deal as far as getting the reverse protection in 2021 that becomes unprotected in the draft class that we noted in 2022, like the deferment, all of the little bonuses and add-ons that you get in a trade like this. I think David Griffin did a spectacular do- job, you know, the, the pick Unreal. swap in 2023. So just getting all of those little things that could really make 
make a huge difference if, you know, after LeBron, you know, gets past his prime, you can already argue he's there. But as far as he, if he diminishes, if something happens with Anthony Davis, I, I would expect Davis to stay with the Lakers. But if they can't get that second or third star, you essentially own the Lakers draft for a long time. And I think the negotiating year from Griffin was pretty tremendous given the situation. Yeah, look, I mean, typically, you know, hiring a general manager is tough, but the Pelicans made it look easy. Uh, I got to tell you, though, hiring isn't as simple as putting an ad in the paper or posting to a job board. When you're juggling hiring with everything it takes to grow your business, it's important that you reach the right candidates at the right time. That's where LinkedIn comes in. More than 610 million members visit LinkedIn every day to make connections, learn and grow as professionals and discover new job opportunities. In fact, LinkedIn members add 15 new skills to their profiles and apply to 35 job posts every two seconds. That's how they make sure your job post gets in front of people with the right hard skills and soft skills to meet your role requirements. Things like collaboration, work ethic, adaptability, LinkedIn does the legwork to match you to the most qualified candidates so you can focus on hiring the person who will transform your business. To get $50 off your first job post, go to linkedin.com slash game theory. Again, that's linkedin.com slash game theory to get $50 off of your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. Do we think David Griffin has a LinkedIn? (laughs) I would assume so. I have no idea. It's a good question. I'm going to Google to see if David Griffin has a LinkedIn. David Griffin does have a LinkedIn. How about that? Uh, I bet you that David Griffin uh, was on LinkedIn, happened to see that the Pelicans had an opening for their president of basketball operations. And from there, uh, you know, was able to be placed in that job. King of the ads, man. That was fantastic. (laughs) This is is what I do. This is my world. Um, I'm so much better at segueing into ads than breaking down basketball. (laughs) Uh, Let's go on ahead and do this mock draft. So we're going to roll through 1 through 30, um, or at least try and see how far we get. We're probably going to spend more time on the interesting picks as opposed to the obvious ones. Like So at number one, Zion Williamson is a very obvious pick to the Pelicans, right? Uh, do you yes. want to, yeah, like, do you want to break down? Yeah, like, why that is obvious? Uh, Zion's a generational talent when he combines elite level functional athleticism, skill level, competitive fire. Uh, he's a, he has the entire package. I mean, there's not really much to say outside of this is one of the biggest no brainer picks in a long time. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, was arguably the most productive player of the one-and-done era uh, in college for Duke. Uh, on both ends of the floor, he is just an elite, elite-level production talent. PER over 40. While like you, you take Zion and make it work around Zion. You don't worry about fit with Zion. Oh hell no! I you always take people always want to debate best player available available versus fit. When you have generational talents, I don't care what your roster construction is. You take them. Yeah, I agree with you. Let's move on. Let's go to number two. Like this is, I mean, honestly, like I don't mean to rush through it, but Zion is just like it's somewhat uninteresting to me. Any like. I don't mean that it's like rude, but like it's just somewhat uninteresting to me, I guess, because we've talked about for it so much. Me, for me, like Zion, I, he hasn't even really factored into the calculus since like December. It's like he's in a st- different stratosphere of this draft. I haven't, I've kind of just put him to the side. He is what he is, and you kind of just have to dress everybody else because, I mean, he's that damn good, and there's not really much else to say about him at this point. Number two, let's uh, say the Memphis Grizzlies, John Morant. Yeah, this is where they should go. I think this is where they will go. 
So why John ja Morant? I think you have to look at this class and say, who has a better case than him? That's what I look at. Who is in consideration for this? Some people will say RJ, maybe Culver. I, I don't think that you can make a convincing argument to me. And that's someone who I'm a little skeptical on Morant. But yeah, as an too. initiator, I'm an, as an initiator prospect, I, I just think the value of that, if he hits um, with his athleticism, with his handle ability to collapse the defense, getting into the paint, the passing acumen, the ability to hit all of the, most of the reads and pick and roll yep. and then his transition play. He really just he can change your franchise if he hits. I'm not saying he will. I, I think there's a lot of variance with him. He's the hardest prospect for me personally that I've ever evaluated. Um, but you look at the upside and you look at what that means on a good team if you have the right on-ball player, and his case is very strong. So for me, it's just too difficult to get past the ability to create off of a live dribble, to pass with both hands off of the live dribble, to just find ridiculous passing angles uh, without having to pick the ball up. He, he is immediately going to be an elite level passer in the NBA. Like the spacing that it's going to allow for, he is just going to be exceptional. Now it's also a ridiculously good fit with Jaron Jackson, assuming that Jaron is their center of the future. Uh, there's just so much pick and roll, pick and pop potential there that I'm a huge fan of making all of that work. Uh, the big concern for me is just getting to the pool up. Like you said, he's a guy that really needs to set his feet before getting to the pool up. Like we'll talk about Darius Garland, uh, I'm sure very soon. And Darius Garland is a guy that just has such ridiculous balance that he can basically get to his pull up from any angle. He has all of the like Dame sidestep stuff. He has all of the um, just ability to pick up and pull immediately. So, whether or not John Morant can add that part to his game without having to take that little pause to get his feet set, that little extra split second to get that shot up, he can knock down threes when someone goes way under a screen. I'm not real worried about that. It's just that lightning quick shot creation ability whenever it's 10 seconds left on the shot clock or 10 seconds left in the game and you need to create a shot that is often a pull-up jump shot. I don't know if he has that yet. I don't think it's really nitpicking either because for lead guards, we know how important the pull-up is. But yep. at the end of the day, like I am just a you know a big fan of watching him play and I think he's a really, really uh, interesting talent that uh, certainly would be worth a top five pick in a normal draft. Yeah, and I think that that's definitely fair. Um, I know we're going to get to him more in depth on the on the big board podcast, so I don't want to go too in depth on his game. But as far as in at the Memphis pick, I love the fit with Jaron Jackson, like you noted. J- Jackson to me is one of the best help defenders of the the young kind of big class, probably the best. So insulating Morant there, he has a lot of defensive concerns as far as the care factor and, and you know awareness off the ball, getting around a screen, getting through a screen. I think having Jackson there on defense as well as on offense as a pick-and-pop option, pulling out the opposing big, you get some insulation there. So I think Morant, that makes it more tenable because you have a situation where you have a cornerstone on your roster that is going to put John Morant in positions to succeed. All right, uh, number three, We're just going to say R.J. Barrett. After this, we're going to start going back and forth on picks. I I think R.J. to New York is just pretty obvious, and I think it's going to happen. What – where, where are we at on RJ? Because I know that you are, you're definitely lower than me, but I feel like you're coming around a little bit. I have him in my second tier with Morant and with, with Culver and with Brandon Clark in that tier, but I have him in that solidified, in, in that range. So I think that the value is fine here in this class. Um, we've talked about trading down all of that. I need to go into that any further, but I, I think this is going to be the pick. So 
I'm higher on RJ Barrett. We'll talk about RJ Barrett uh, a little bit more in the prospect breakdown one that's coming on Wednesday. But um, in RJ's case, the reason that I uh, am a big fan of RJ is I love the mentality, uh, even though sometimes it manifests itself negatively due to shot selection and due to decision making. I think he's just a big six foot seven uh, honestly, like lead creator initiator, because I think he can pass the ball. Uh, I think he can get to his pull up jumper. I think the jump shots efficiency is going to come around. Um, I think he is like better passing DeMar DeRozan basically. And to me, that's worth number three. I understand that like some people don't like DeMar, but DeMar is a multi-time all NBA player now. And like, that's very worth the number three overall pick. Yeah, to me, I think there are definitely distinctions between those two. Like DeRozan, sure. much higher release point and more explosive to me, more subtly good getting to his spots. Not as good from three as RJ was. And RJ wasn't a great three-point shooter, but he showed much more acuity oh, yeah, there yeah, yeah. in college. So Maybe it's like modern DeMar a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to find comps. So I'm just saying like I think there's a yeah. little bit of separation there. But I get where you're going with this. RJ definitely the better passer. I think it's interesting how people view RJ as far as role. Do you view him as the lead? Do I ever see him as like a fulcrum of a great offense? That's a tough sell for me. I think that you're right that the shooting might be a little bit better, even though if you look at his percentages as a freshman historically, they're not very promising. Being in like the 25th percentile below in both free throw percentage and three point percentage for like every prospect since 2000, it's not like the most promising list to be on. And there have been exceptions, the guys that have improved, like Victor Oladipo, for example. But Oladipo is a much better athlete, in my opinion. Well, at least a better athlete, maybe not much better, but he's definitely a better athlete than RJ is. So he has some advantages built in there. But uh, I, I really do think it's fascinating if you see RJ more as a lead or if you see him as a secondary or more of a wing type. I think he could really kill. I actually like his shot okay when his feet are set. I think that he can shoot off the catch when he catches on the hop in rhythm. And attacking closeouts, I feel like his strides and his power to the rim, I feel like could be useful in those situations and stuff like that. Yep. So I don't know if I view him as like a lead guard. I view him more as a wing. That's just my that's my it's like an outcome range. So I think I feel most comfortable at projecting him into a wing. Maybe his ceiling is that is that lead, but that's it's hard for me to get there. Well I think that you'd want to play him as a you'd want to play him next to a point guard for sure like yes. but could that point guard be someone like Darren Collison or someone like that that is lower usage shoots it but has like good ball handling ability can run a pick and roll I think you might be able to do that at some point yeah yeah and, and like obviously the fit historically with DeRozan and Kyle Lowry Kyle Lowry would be the kind of point guard because he can play off the yep. ball he's really good at relocating so I, I do think that's probably the best fit for him and we'll see I, I think that he's going to be the pick here there's some reasons to like him. I think his lack of shiftiness off the dribble. I'm very worried about how he creates an isolation against bigger wings. Like against smaller guards, he can run through you, finish over the top. He's going to have to perfect that step back, I think. And he's been yep. trying as far as the footwork goes, but the touch is very inconsistent. He has some really bad misses, but he also has some makes. So I think that's going to be the shot that really determines his isolation scoring upside. All right, so let's let's go to number four here. Um, oh, God. I'm going to let you... We're going to go back and forth from now on where you make the pick and then I make the next pick, right? So at number four, the Pelicans are in a very interesting spot. So we're going to say off the top that we're not going to make trades in this mock draft. Do you want to make trades in this mock draft? Like, what do you, what do you want to do? I think we can just point it out, like what we would do in the situation and not officially do it, but just what we would entertain. Okay, so you mentioned a trade earlier and it's something that is like, 
a sister of a trade that I threw out in my column uh, following the Anthony Davis trade with the Pelicans acquiring number four. So I will give you the floor to bring it up. Yeah, I don't know how realistic this is, but I think from Oh, I, a... I, by the way, I will say this. Like, it's not going to happen. Like, they, <laughs> it, it's just not going to happen. So... Damn it. Um, <laughs> it's just, a, I guess, a fantasy of mine. Putting Wendell Carter next to Zion with the trade of number four for Wendell with the idea that Chicago would be able to be put in better position to get Darius Garland at four, which makes some roster fit sense. But we talked about the spacing with the Pelicans, and I think that Wendell Carter's going to shoot threes, and I think his defense was really good his, his rookie year. I think he could cover up for Zion in certain areas. I love that fit. So from just a, a rational like reasonable sense I, it just makes a lot of common sense to me but i agree it's probably it's not it's not gonna happen yeah so i uh i threw out a lowry markinen for number four deal and bulls bulls fans are not uh, oh happy with me right now um <laughs> honestly like the reason i did it in like maybe like bulls fans just haven't seen enough wendell carter yet um the reason i said lowry instead of wendell is i think wendell is just a better building block than Lowry. Like I, I really like Lowry Markin and I think that he's going to have a case to be one of the five best seven foot shooters in like NBA history. He might already be like one of the two or three best to be honest behind Dirk. Um, at the end of the day though, the defense and the fit defense with Wendell Carter really concerns me. Like, I don't think it helps to have Lowry Markinen have to chase around small ball fours. Uh, like, I don't think it helps him offensively. I don't think it helps him defensively. It's just not like a, a thing that will be valuable for the Bulls on defense. Um, so, like, if, if I was them, I would want to keep my requisite rim protection. I would want to keep the guy that I think can shoot it from distance a little bit and can be a very, very good high-end role player. And I would want to trade the guy in Markkanen that I think probably does have a little bit more trade value right now than uh, Wendell Carter does. Uh, so, yeah, like I, I, I wasn't saying that out of like – you know, disrespect for Lowry Markkinen's game. I think Lowry's very good, but I think that at some point they're going to have to move on from this little experiment. Um, and we'll talk about a hilarious rumor that's coming out of Chicago uh, whenever we get down to number seven. But oh god, like I, I just look at this as a circumstance where uh, this is a potentially perfect opportunity to make a roster that kind of fits better than the one that they currently have. Like right now you're basically looking at a situation where the uh, you could have a roster of, you know, like a point guard of some sort, uh, you know, in free agency or whoever, Zach Levine, Otto Porter, um, Lowry Markinen, Wendell Carter, and number seven, or the deal that I threw out was like Josh Hart and number four for Lowry Markinen. You could do, Darius Garland at number four, Zach Levine, Josh Hart, Otto Porter, Wendell Carter, number seven. And instead of using the money on a point guard, you can use the money on, you know, basically whatever free agent you think is the best fit with these guys, be it a true four, be it uh, that can shoot uh, a backup point guard plus something else. Like you can also get number seven, take like a DeAndre Hunter or a Jarrett Culver if you use number four on uh Darius Garland because I think there's a chance that like Culver or someone would fall and build out your roster that way like to me the second iteration of that potential outcome is much better than the first iteration of having Levine Porter Lowry Wendell Carter number seven and like 
a glaring hole at the point guard position that you have to fill. Yeah, they need an initiator. Like, 100% they do. I'm not as high on Darius Garland, but I like the shooting fit. Or at least he can play off some of these bigs. I might be a little bit higher on the fit with Lowry and Wendell. I think it's tenable long term. Um, you want Lowry at the five offensively. Ideally, I'm not sure if he can hold up defensively. That's a different conversation. But I, I do agree with a lot of what you said as far as roster construction and how you want to invest. And, of course, we'll get to this number seven. And, like, are they going to take a backup center? That would be a total nightmare. But getting back to the Pelicans, I think, in this spot, I would approach it as there's not really an obvious fit to me on the board yeah. as far as you just got Lonzo, you have Drew Holiday, so you're not probably going to take Darius Garland, Kobe White. Um, I don't think they're overwhelming talents anyway. Like I would take in that range Jarrett Culver, but he's not a great fit on that roster with a suspect shooting, even though I like a secondary playmaking. Uh, so I would be looking to move this pick. We just discussed that deal with Chicago and very hypothetical trade that would probably not going to happen. I think that trading back a couple spots, picking up a 2020, you know, protected first. I think that yep. actually could happen just because of the demand we have. You know, we have Cleveland who might take Darius Garland now. That's another rumor. We'll get to that. And then you have Phoenix in, in Chicago. So there's demand in that range for another combo lead guard S player. So that's what I would be looking if I was the Pelicans. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so who are who? Did you say who did you say you're taking Culver? Yeah, I guess I'll just take Culver. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't know if you like actually said officially. Uh, we have to I didn't. To <laughs> um, so yeah, Culver I think makes the most sense for them. I agree. Uh, I think trading makes the most sense to be honest. But if they're gonna keep 100%. in number four, um, Culver makes sense. Number five, I'm gonna go DeAndre Hunter, and we should talk about like the trade and like the pick outcomes potentially here. Um, there is the rumor about Darius Garland that Cleveland is interested. They've gone to see him work out. I wonder if like part of this is something of a ploy to drum up interest in a trade at number five uh, where the Cavs move down. Uh, we know Atlanta is interested in potentially moving up just due to their massive number of picks. We know that, um, you know, there are a few teams that could want a point guard like a Darius Garland. Uh, the sneaky one that like I keep bringing up to people, and I don't think I've actually brought this up to you yet. Um, I think Boston is very interesting as a potential team to move up in this draft. Um, Obviously, they're losing Kyrie Irving. We don't know what's going to happen with Terry Rozier. We don't know if they want Terry Rozier back after he just like went and fucking flamethrowed the entire team in the media uh, after the season. So they have like a very real hole at point guard. And Darius Garland's kind of a perfect fit next to Marcus Smart. Like if I was Boston, I might try and use this pick capital that I have to go get Garland. It's really interesting. I don't know what the cost be and if it's like the memphis pick i'm not doing that if i'm boston yeah could you do um, 14 in the draft memphis pick? uh i would do that in a second if i was one of these teams if i could get the memphis pick i'm all over that for i, I mean again i'm not as high on garland and anybody really in this range is being like impactful if i could get a shot at like kate cunningham in 2021 I, i'm gonna do it I, I think that that would be a nice recourse i'm not sure if boston would do it but it's probably gonna take more than 14 and 20 or some iteration of that to move up to six or seven um, so I don't know. I don't know what the cost would be. I probably wouldn't be willing to do it if I was Boston just because I, w- I don't want to part with that Memphis pick. Man, the, th- the problem with waiting <laughs> on the Memphis pick, if you're Boston at this stage, is that your roster is going to be expensive by the time that pick comes around. And I guess that like it's a good asset to have for when it gets expensive because then you'll have like a cheap guy yeah. coming in. But you're not going to have as much flexibility in all likelihood. Uh, maybe maybe that does help. I don't know. 
Um, I think I did just kind of sell myself on them keeping that pick. <laughs> if they think that like, if they think Tatum and Brown and everyone else other than like Horford and Hayward are there for the long haul, but like, I don't like, I might want to use this pick to get someone who can grow with a Tatum Brown core, you know? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it, there's definitely several factors at play. I have a quick question because I didn't ask this before we started this. Are we doing what we would do in the situation or what we think this team would do? What we would do, I would just implore you to not drastically overdraft <laughs> Brandon Clark. <laughs> Copy that. So what we would do within the realm of what's realistic is, is the best way to put yes. it, right? Like, okay, so can we- don't take Brandon Clark at six. I'm not that's going just to. not going to happen, you know? I I agree. I've been telling Phoenix fans that. Um, but so really quick with five with DeAndre Hunter, do you like the fit there? Because I get it, I guess, with Culver off the board. If Culver's on the board, I would take him because I think you have to agree. shoot a little bit higher upside-wise. I'm a little scared of Hunter going to Cleveland and just being a tertiary and playing next to guys who don't really pass that well, like Colin Sexton, Jordan Clarkson. I'm not sure if you're going to get the full value. And I know you mentioned trades with Atlanta. I love him in Atlanta. I don't like him as much as with Cleveland. This is one of the fits where, again, if Culver's on the board, I think they they have to go there. That's like one of the only hardline stances I have. You have to take a little bit higher upside creation-wise because they don't have enough talent, I think, to bring Hunter into the building and have him optimized. So I would just note that like Cleveland's defense was a raging dumpster fire last year. So bringing in like the guy I consider to be the best defender in the draft, like that seriously helps, you know, um, it, like, I also think it just like helps them continue to build that culture, uh, that they want. Not that Jarrett Culver is like a bad culture guy by any stretch. He's a great culture guy, but like, um, Deandre has that like toughness defense first culture that I think is a little bit more interesting for them, I guess. Like, that's like, at the end of the day, like, I think DeAndre is just better than Jarrett. Like, I think that his upside gets undersold a little bit. He is still very much a guy, like, on the rise. Like, you look at his trajectory, basically, from the time he was a junior in high school. This guy has gotten better every single year. Like, there's been no stagnation there. Um, And there's been no stagnation in Culver, either. I think it's reasonable to take Culver, and to be honest, I think I probably would. Um with Cleveland's situation specifically, but in general, like I think we just underrate DeAndre's upside a little bit. That's fair. I mean, I I'm a little lower on his upside just because I don't think he's the most fluid creator. He's just a, plays a pretty rigid game. I do like his switch defense. I'm not sure if he can change your defensive culture, just him by himself, just given his role on that end and just the perimeter defense. Usually you need like an interior, like a backline four, or like a rim protecting five or whatnot. But I, I get the allure. I just think in this class, if it falls the way that I think it might, in this iteration, it didn't because Culver went four. But you have, I think you have to take another ball handler and just get a little bit more creation in B-Land system. I'm not as sold on Hunter's ability to put the ball on the floor and self-create, even though I do think his vision and like his feel on offense is a little bit underrated as far as his ability to make yeah. the right play. Um, but there are general feel concerns defensively off the ball. I know the pack line, but... Yeah, I, I think it's a it's a reasonable pick. I would shoot a little bit higher, but in this case, it's like it's between Hunter and like Darius Garland. You're going to pick another combo guard. It, it's it's kind of a tougher sell. Okay, uh, Darius Garland uh, is the best player left on my board. Is he the best player left on your board? No, but he's the he's the realistic candidate to go six. Even though, what do you think about the clutch? component as far as drafting a guy from that agency that effect is i mean i think this pick right now if we're being realistic for the suns at six in this board it's going to be between kobe white and darius garland yeah and there are some real rumors out there that kobe is their guy um i I think that like john gavoni even said that like darius garland they haven't done a lot of research into darius garland 
this season yep. and you know they haven't uh been to a workout of Darius's yet i it's hard for me to tell and given the fact that like it's very public knowledge that you worked for them this year uh don't feel like you have to respond to this but it's hard for me to tell what phoenix is going to do if only because like their front office doesn't really go out and see guys. Uh, it's just kind of not what they do. Um, their front office is one that uh, tends to just kind of go with who they think is best, I think. And like, I, I don't know that they feel the need to go out and see guys as much. You know what I mean? Like, it's a it's a very weird situation that I can't get a read on with Phoenix. So like these, these things of them, like, Oh yeah. Like we haven't gone out and see Dar- seen Darius Garland or anything. Well, it's kind of in the ballpark for them to like make this decision and just go for it. Yeah. I honestly have no idea where they're going to go. I'm really fascinated to see what direction they go at six. One of the more interesting crossroads, depending on who's on the board, I will take Darius Garland here as a reasonably likely pick. I have him higher than Kobe white. So between those two guys, I'll just go with, with Garland, his shooting ability on that roster. You look at their need to space the floor. If you pair him with Devin Booker and Mikhail bridges. So I think Mikhail's going to shoot a lot better than he did his rookie year. I think that gives nice spacing around Deandre Ayton at the rim as a finisher. And, you know, Garland can initiate sets. I'm not as high in his playmaking. I don't think he reads the floor at a high level. That's why I think he's more of a combo. But Booker can insulate him a lot there because Booker has really improved as initiator yeah. type. I think he can handle that ability. Garland can really play off the ball at the best level in this class, in my opinion, as far as running off screens for the lead guard position. Um, very deadly yeah. off the catch. He can be a transition point guard for sure and like have that deep range, 30-foot pull-up. We've talked about that forward momentum balance. So you can see the intrigue offensively as far as pairing him in the system. Yeah, no question. Uh, let's go on ahead and move on to number seven. There, I'll say this too. The reason I have Darius Garland over uh, Kobe White is I think his live dribble game is just a little bit better. Uh, it's Agreed. just a little bit more creative, I think. He, like... A lot of Kobe's passes came in transition this year. I have seen Darius make some interesting half-court reads that make me go, okay, that, that has a chance to work. Um, what are what are your thoughts on Kobe versus Darius as, like, live dribble guys? Because I, I think Kobe just gets by on, like, pure speed and size on some level right now, which is fine because he's, like, still very, very young, but, like, and the tools are great. But where are you at on that? I think Kobe is really good in transition, pushing the ball, um, decelerating, like making great decisions, not always, but he's very good at like improvising in space in transition. I think Garland is much more electric with the ball as far as east west burst. He's very deceptive. He comes in and out of his moves at a higher level than Kobe does. I like Darius's handle a lot better than I like Kobe's. And some of that's body mechanics and Kobe with the short arms. It doesn't look like he has the ball on the string all the time. And Garland really yeah. does. So I like I like Garland as far as his pull-up ability from three. He's a much better pull-up shooter than Kobe is at this stage. Kobe's excellent off the catch. But, uh, yeah, I, I think as far as their ability to read the game, I haven't really seen a lot from either one. Like, I wasn't enamored with Garland's half-court reads. He really struggled to, on hard hedges and stuff and, like, reading skip passes. A lot of his moves were, you know, drop-off passes once he split the defense. And he's really good at that, is setting up guys and, like, splitting pick and roll. So I think that Garland just has more of a lead guard uh skill makeup as far as especially the handle the deception at the point of attack that way so that's why i would favor him a little bit yeah i agree um let's move on to number seven uh so i'm gonna take kobe white here with the bulls i am not 
like as much of a fan of putting Kobe with the Bulls as I am of putting Garland with the Bulls. Um, just because I think they need that like live dribble creator that Kobe isn't quite yet. Having said that, like Kobe does have some very real uh, transition abilities, has some very real uh, just decision making. Like he he makes good decisions on the floor. Like Kobe consistently does not fuck up, which is nice. Um, and, and he's a good pull up shooter. Like that there's a reason that he's going to go this high. And it's because he's a six, five guard that is lightning quick. That is a good pull-up shooter. Like those skills translate pretty quickly. Yeah. And I think he's a better pull-up shooter than the numbers indicate. Like he was like 27th percentile this year. I think he's better than that. If you look at the tape and you know, his ability to shoot in the mid range, um, he has a little bit more versatile shot in those areas than Garland, who's more of like a forward momentum step back guy. Garland can kind of, I mean, excuse me, Kobe can adjust his release point a little bit to shoot over the top of guys. I like that he can play off the ball in that system. Zach Levine's going to yep. have the ball. Um, you know, they, their post guys are running the offense through, you know, Wendell at the elbow as well as Lowry. So I like that for Kobe. I'm not sure if he's a pure point guard, though. I'm not sure if he's someone who's going to come in and get everybody looks. I'm not sure if Garland's that player either. So uh, to me, Garland's just a better offensive player for self creation, but. The overall idea is I think they need a little bit more of a, a real passer and, and a guy that's going to get all of these guys the ball. I'm not sure if Kobe White's that guy. So let's move to number eight. Let's try and get through this a little bit more quick than we have already. <laughs> um, so you're up at number eight. Who would you take? Yeah, this is pretty easy. Realistic as far as in my same range on my board, Cam Reddish. This is my favorite fit for him in the draft by far. Um, I think if he goes here, he has a chance to be pretty good as far as, you know, a tertiary Jerry, secondary playmaker, playing off Trey Young, playing off Kevin Herter, being more of a part of a holistic offense, a lot of spacing, attacking closeouts, uh, and then being kind of a team defender on the other end. They need a, a bigger wing type. So I really like the fit here with them. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think that Cam's going to be in the mix basically all the way from like five through seven as well. So if he maybe not at six, but, you know, five and seven, certainly he'll be there uh, in the calculus, at least. So it'll be interesting to see if he gets here. But if he gets here and DeAndre Hunter doesn't get here, uh, I would imagine that like one of those two guys will be here or it, it has to be basically one of Jarrett Culver, Cam Reddish or DeAndre Hunter gets there. And I would imagine that at eight, if the Hawks stay at eight and don't try and move up and target the guy that they specifically want at number five, be it four, whatever. Um, I would think that that guy is just the pick. Oh, shit. I forgot to mention this on seven with the Bulls. Do we, can we address Jackson Hayes really quick? Because that might impact who falls here as well. Oh, yeah, that's right. Let's laugh about Jackson Hayes. Um, the Bulls taking... It's not that I think Jackson Hayes is a bad player. It would be an overdraft at seven for me. I have Jackson at 13 on my board. I don't think he's the yep. best center in the draft. I think Goja is the best center in the draft. Um, like, But for them to take him at number seven after they took two centers, in my opinion, in Lowry Markinen and Wendell Carter at seven last year would be an immediate F for me. Not, not because I think Jackson is a bad player, but because it is the worst possible asset allocation in draft like theory or in draft practicality to take three centers back to back to back. We saw this fail with three better prospect centers in Philadelphia with ja Oak, or Jaleel Okafor, Joel Embiid, and Darlins Noel. We've seen how this plays out. It plays out with these guys hindering their draft stock or hindering their trade value long-term. To do this would be malpractice. I don't care if you think he's the best player on the board. It would be the worst pick on draft day 
in the 2019 draft, at least, to take Jackson Hayes in Chicago. Yeah, you can't take a backup center as far as your current roster construction at seven. Those are That's just one of the things you can't do as far as a roster building point. You can't take a guy that's not versatile. Like You have no versatility now. If you have two guys that really have to play the five, Lowry can play the four, but he's probably best at the five offensively. It's, it's bad enough when you take two combo guards, but at least those guys can play together in the regular season, especially if you know they can shoot off the catch, right? So that's not right. overly reductive. But like if you take like a back We've seen it with the five, Clippers, for instance, with Lou Williams and Pat Beverly, Lou Williams and Shea uh, Alexander. Like These guys that can shoot the ball and have size at the guard position. Like just because they're combos doesn't mean that they can't play together. Yeah. They're at least versatile, especially in the regular season where you're going to have different lineups on the floor in the playoffs. I think that becomes a bigger concern, but they're at least playable together. Like you're not playing Jackson Hayes next to Wendell Carter and Lowry Markkinen. Like that's just not tenable. But yeah, I was going to say in the playoffs, like we can talk about like playing multiple combo guards that are questionable defensively together. You absolutely cannot play two centers together in the playoffs. You are going to get played off the floor defensively. Like you are going to absolutely get wrecked defensively. There is no no way around it unless one of these guys is Al Horford defensively. Um, and I don't think like, look, you like Wendell Carter a good amount defensively. And like, you think he can do some of this stuff, but like he is not as mobile as Al Horford in being able to guard fours consistently. No, he's definitely not that. And just my last point on this is I, I think Casey Johnson had this piece out and it said basically like they're looking at back or they think that that's a value play or if they can't get a guard. It's like if you want to take a player that's reductive and like duplicative with another player, just take a wing because they're versatile, right? You can always right. get wings on the floor. You can get Cam Reddish on the floor with Otto Porter. I don't care if they're like similar skill sets. Like they're at least versatile players. Like that's where you have to go if you can't trade the pick. It, it would be worst case scenario if they took Jackson Hayes. It would just be a pretty egregious draft error in my opinion. All right, let's go to number nine. Uh, the Wizards are the team that I'm struggling with most right now in terms of figuring yeah. out what the fuck they should do. I don't have an answer to that. Um, given that John Wall isn't going to be there for next year, and given that uh, if I was the Wizards, I would probably trade Bradley Beal this summer, I don't think that I can take the next highest guy on my personal board, which is Goja. Um, I would take Sekou Dumbuya if I was the Wizards. Seku to me uh, is certainly an upside play. We're at the point now with the Wizards, if they do trade Bradley Beal, that this is a multi-year rebuild. They can afford to allow Seku to develop uh, over the course of multiple years, which I think he still needs. It's not that he's a bad player now. He just needs to continue to develop his field, needs to continue to develop uh, his shooting ability. But the athleticism is real. The fluidity is real. Uh, there's a lot of upside in what Dumbuya can bring to the table. Yeah, I'm really curious what his upside actually is. I agree with you as far as the fluid athleticism. He moves really well on the floor. I'm not sure well, if he handles high level enough in tighter spaces. I, That's where I'm concerned. Yeah. Yeah, like I think the upside is like Pascal Siakam. Um, it's like, and we can talk about what Pascal is in terms of upside too. Uh, I, I think Pascal can be like a top 20 guy in the NBA. But my guess on what Seku actually becomes is like solid starting level four, man. Like, Al Farouk Aminu or something like yeah. that. If we're saying like purely this guy's upside is blank, he could be this, uh, like the ceiling outcome. Yeah, I think it's like Siakam, but you can't really do draft off of that, you know? Yeah, I think much more likely it's Aminu type. I'm not sure if he handles the ball even as well as Siakam. So that's going to be something yep. interesting. We'll talk about that on the other podcast. But I, I do think from like a fit standpoint it makes sense with a long-term trajectory and this is kind of where i see them actually going yeah uh, i agree with you uh go to number 10 
All right, now I get to take Brandon Clark because it's reasonable range. <laughs> um, you can I just want him to go to here, Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I'm going to take Clark at 10. Uh, I think he might be in consideration at 17, too. I don't know exactly where he goes in this range. There seems to be a lot of teams that are interested in him via oh, – I don't, I don't actually know. I mean, hypothetically, the fit at 11 is really good. I think Boston has shown interest. There's been some mocks there. But at 10, I think he can play in the double high with Trey. Trey's going to optimize him offensively. He can dive to the rim. Collins can pop. They can kind of invert a, bil- a little bit of ability there depending on personnel. So if Clark plays with another center that can space, like if they re-sign Deadman, for example, I think that's really interesting. Um, I love him defensively. You need high-level team defense around Trey Young. You have to start insulating him because you know he's going to be a liability, but he's good enough offensively, I think, to make the trade-off worth it. So Clark, to me, is one of the handful of like potentially great help defenders in this class. So I, I really like the fit with him in the system overall, getting up and down on the floor, the second-best functional athlete in the class. Man, I'm so mad at you that you did. You took Brandon Clark before I could give my spiel on Brandon <laughs> Clark to Minnesota and why it's like the perfect fit. Um, yeah, I, I honestly would take Goja here if I was Atlanta because I think Goja is the best like pick and roll big man uh, in this draft. And having a pick and roll big man partner with Trey Young, who is just like elite at setting screens and knowing where to dive and can pop out and do all of that. Like that is the most intriguing potential outcome to me personally. Um, But Brandon Clark makes a lot of sense, I think, too. Yeah, I I went between him and Goja. I I am hoping in real life. We've talked about this privately that Goja falls to 17. I don't know if that's going to happen. I think there's a lot of teams in this range that don't need centers, but there could obviously be a trade-up. And I think the value, of course, is somebody should probably trade up and get him, but I'm hoping he falls to to 17. So at number 11, I now am in a quandary. I am in, I am in a predicament. I think... <laughs> I hate you. I hate you so much. Um, <laughs> I think I would take... Nasir Little. He is the Tell next me. guy on my board that is not a center. Uh, obviously, the Timberwolves don't need a center with Carl Towns. Um, Nasir, you need to buy into him being a shooter. I believe in his jump shot figuring itself out at some point. Like you and I were high on the pull-up game translating going into college. Obviously, he didn't really get a chance to like showcase any sort of pull-up game in college. Um, I got told that he shot it really well in that like crazy-ass 100-shot workout that the Celtics put their prospects through. Um, but at the end of the day, like a lot of it is feel-related. And while I do have concerns about putting someone with off-ball defense concerns next to... Uh, Carl Towns and Andrew Wiggins. God damn it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I would just be willing to bet on the motor that is Nasir and like that guy figuring it out on some level because he's just like an elite level human. Yeah, I, I love the kid. I think you're betting on the work ethic with him. I think he's a better shooter than he showed at North Carolina. Um, I hope he gets back to that athletic build and kind of the body mechanics and movement skills that he had in high school and AAU play that I saw um, in an all-star circuit. I just thought that he was a little bit robotic last year. It added too much strength too quickly. So I get the allure. Um, it's too high for me personally based on, we've talked about this in the previous spot as far as feel and stuff like that. And I think it's dicey, but you have, really have to bet on the kid. Like that's what you're doing at this stage. If you really feel good about him as a, as a player developing, I can see it. Well, the three guys that I considered here were Nasir, Tyler Hero, and Kevin Porter. Um, Porter, you obviously have to like 
bet on him being like a self-starter on some level and like figuring out the work ethic and the team insulating him, as I've talked about a lot on this podcast. Um, Hero would just fit from like a floor spacing shooting scenario. But I just think Nasir's upside is higher than Tyler's. So that's kind of where I'm at on this. And like, I would just rather have Nasir than Rui, to be honest. Yeah, that's definitely fair. Okay. Uh, Number 12. So you're up with Charlotte. Oh, God. Um, This is where it starts to be a bit of a crunch here uh god i would just go for me it's been a crunch since like nine. Oh yeah i think now i'm starting to stress a little bit i th- i think i'm gonna go i'm gonna go best player on my board i'm gonna go goja uh, i'm gonna go batazi here i i know they have a bunch of centers sure. um but as a pick and roll guy if kemba returns you give him a pop option you give him a little bit of a roll threat and then a drop guy um defensively I- I just think that that's the best player in the board. Um, I don't don't really see a convincing case for a lot of other guys in this range, so I'll go him. So it's interesting to me that Jackson Hayes is considered the best rim protector in this class. Like, it feels like that's what people think, right? Uh, That definitely seems to be the consensus, yeah. I don't, like, to me, Goja is, like, definitely a better rim protector. Like, he led the Euro League in blocks per game. He is consistently over the course of the last like five years or not five years over the course of the last three years, realistically been a ridiculous like shot blocker. He fouls a ton. I think that's probably the number one concern with me. He fouls a lot. And in large part, it's because of like mobility concerns, but you put that guy in like a soft shell pick and roll structure where he can stay around the basket and like a, you know, quote unquote, you know, zone defense, heavy help structure. He is going to be a monster defending the basket. Yeah, I mean, his timing, he's got a better feel, I think, than Jackson does as far as when to be where, when to hang with your man. Like, seeing ball and man, I think he's pretty good at that positioning, and he has the reach. Not a a good leaper. I think that's where um, Jackson has an advantage and probably why he's considered the better rim protector is because Jackson's faster. Um, He has better leaping ability. He's more coordinated that way. But uh, drop coverage, I think, from an intelligence standpoint, I I think Batazzi gets him there. Yeah, he's going to be very good, I think. And, like... Assume it and like if Kemba stays, we'll say let's not assume Kemba stays. Like putting him with just a flat out fucking elite level like screen and roll guy, that's just like a perfect fit to me. Um I would bet you they would take Jackson Hayes over Goja though, for what it's worth. I agree. Um okay, number thirteen. I am up again in a uh predicament with the Miami Heat, where the Heat have uh not been particularly forthcoming about what they're doing. I would take Kevin Porter here because the Heat have done such a great job of kind of figuring out how to make these guys that are super high talent, um, but you know, semi questionable like work ethic, coachability, like etc. Concerns uh, work, and to me, uh, you know, Kevin Porter's upside is that of a top five or six player in this class, and Miami has done such a good job with player development that I think that this is the kind of scenario where he would flourish. Yeah, I think it's defensible as far as their player development system has the kind of frame that they look for. Of course, he's he's a huge wild card at this point. You're just betting on the self creation upside. You're betting on all of that translating to a five on five game. It, you see a lot of diverse opinions on Kevin Porter. I don't really have a strong stance on him. I'm pretty skeptical. By the way, but... like he's not invited to the draft, so like most teams have him outside of the top twenty. Yeah, so that's that's a little bit telling considering that the NBA eats up self creation and explosiveness in and out of their moves everybody saw him at the hoop summit when he scrimmaged against the usa team back in 2017 and he was the best player on the court so like that's 
that should be telling to some extent that the skill set that the NBA values most is not being valued that way, at least from our perspective. Yeah. Um, number 14, you get the man, you get all of the fun picks in this. You got eight and 10 with the <laughs> Hawks and you get 14, 20 and 22 with the Celtics. Hey, I'm the captain of the Hawks bandwagon, so I have to I have to support them um, here. I don't I'm going to go P.J. Washington. I know it's not like the okay. upside pick, but I like, like the frame. I like the I'm, I'm a little higher in his catch and shoot ability. I'm not saying he's like a, a surefire deal, but I think his strength level, his frame, his length will stand out to the Celtics. Maybe he gets, you know, more assist minutes long term. Uh, maybe they shoot for higher upside. We've heard some potentially some bull bull talk here as far as one of their three picks. I don't know if that's going to be, you know, that's going to come to fruition or not, but I'm just going to go PJ Washington. I know he, he doesn't have the craziest upside, but I, I like his off ball defense as far as his range. I don't love his decision making or his motor but i think boston's probably the best situation and best incubator to really develop those parts of his game i think that's reasonable yeah uh, i mean pj is going to be taken somewhere in this mix it's a little high for me personally but i think it's a reasonable pick um number 15 i'm gonna take Nikhil alexander walker at number 15 uh, i think that the pistons need shot creation and shooting ability from lead guards and to me he is the best kind of mix of all of that uh now i think you still need to play him next to a real point guard because he doesn't have like the super high level explosiveness that you look for from these guys uh but having said that like i am generally very in on this skill set being something that the pistons need yeah, it definitely makes sense from a skill set perspective. And, you, and, of course, Blake Griffin is their primary creator anyway. So I think Nikhil can play off of Blake yep. and be more of a secondary. So it, it makes some sense as far as fit. Yeah, and I have him at 16. So, you know, right in line with where my board is. Number 17, this is, I, I would imagine you're going to take who I think you're going to take, right? Oh, I have 16, right? I have Magic 16. Is that correct? Oh, you have Magic 16. Okay, so I'm going to get 17. That's right. So this so is, you get the, yeah, you get the final Hawks pick, damn it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um this guy's not as high on my board. I don't really know exactly what to do with him, but in this range, I'm going to get Tyler Hero. Does not fit the the traditional draft approach of the Magic as far as length. We saw Justin Jackson yep. last draft, Melvin, Melvin Frazier, and of course, Mo Bamba. But they need my shooting. favorite stat from last year's draft was the Magic. Uh, their three picks had a combined plus twenty seven wingspan. <laughs> there you go, dude. That's 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 very deform. Um, I'm just going to take I'm going to take Tyler Hero here just for being one of the best shooters in the class I need shooting with Fournier um, being their, their only consistent source as far as the wing if Terrence Ross isn't brought back. So I'm just going to go him. I think this is kind of the range that you can kind of see him fall into potentially. I think he's probably going to go in the top 20. You'd know better than me, but yeah. uh, I like his touch. Yeah, he'll, he'll go somewhere in the top 20. Like I, I would be shocked to see Boston pass on him at 20 if he's there. Yeah, so I, I'm gonna I'm just gonna go with him just with the, with the skill set of, of shooting, and we'll kind of see what his upside is as far as being a combo guard who can initiate offense potentially. But the shooting alone for the Magic, they just have to have these guys. So I'm I'm gonna take Jackson Hayes at 17. I think that's just like very obvious. Um, so this this does two things. So first, realistically, I think we just like flipped the way that the Hawks would do this right like end up with jackson hayes and brandon clark at 10 and 17 yep um i think they would take hayes at 10 and i think that they have a real chance to end up with clark at 17 if he was to fall um having said that it is very worth noting that in this range it is very easy to envision a center just plummeting down the board because there are a lot of teams 
like, let's say, what, Minnesota at 11, Miami at 13, Pistons at 15, Orlando Orlando. at 16. Like, there are just so many teams that don't need centers at all in any way. So don't be, like, outwardly shocked if someone like Jackson Hayes, Goja, who I have in the top 10, like, falls all the way down here just because it shows the diminishing value of the center position in the NBA. Yeah, and that's really what I'm hoping for with Batadze. I hope he falls to 17. I don't really necessarily, again, bank on I think a a team could trade up. But just based on team need in this area, I think it's possible. Yeah, I agree. Um, Number 18, I'm going to give you the floor. Oh, God. I want to take Grant Williams. (laughs) He's the top guy on my board. I think this is like I think he goes this high, but it's not like completely outrageous, is it? No, I, I think it's totally it? <laughs> reasonable. It's like, uh, okay. um, yeah, I think it's completely reasonable. I, I don't know if it's the way they would go, but I mean, he fits a lot of what they tend to like too. Yeah, I mean, he has the IQ. He can play in the short role next to Oladipo. We've talked about that in the past with Sabonis and T- Turner's approved there, but maybe not the impactful guy that you want in that situation all the time. And I think you know they're not going to be able to pay, pay Sabonis and Turner. So getting a guy um, like Williams under cost control who could really help in some situations best player on my board i think that he you know he has the intelligence he doesn't necessarily have like the high level athleticism even though i'm i'm a fan of him improving there obviously we know about the strengths so i I like his fit here i like i don't think that he will go this high to be honest yeah but yeah i mean if i was indiana i would strongly strongly consider him uh at this range um so i get san antonio at 19 i think that all of my top 16 are off the board now. I was excited to plug Grant Williams in at 19. Um, <laughs> I am going to take Rui because I think that the Spurs who are willing to run like early post sets and who are willing to, uh, or who have like the best shot doctor in the entire league in Chip England would get the most out of him. Uh, I I think that if you can find a way to get the most out of Rui, there is a ceiling here. And I think that the Spurs are a very good fit to do that. Yeah, I I totally agree. This would be one of his better fits to me in the first round, just based on positional value and what he is as a player. I think it's high. But again, I'm more of the outlier as far as being low on him. But I love the situation as far as developmentally with the Spurs. Yeah. And uh, I again, I expect him to go somewhere in the lottery, to be honest. Um I look at 11, 12, I think you can make a case at 13, 14, just basically all of those, uh, him being in the mix there. So it's just like kind of, uh, it's kind of, I would be surprised if he ends up at 19 realistically. I agree. Number 20 is you. Okay. So I kind of want to go with an upside play here just because I feel like if they keep all the picks, they're going to, we've seen Kevin Porter slotted here potentially. I don't know if that's going to happen, but obviously he's off the board to PJ before. I think I'm going to go, this is between Nick Claxton and Bull Bull. I'm going to go Nick Claxton because I'm higher on him. Um, I I think this is, so in the 20 to 30 range, I can see him going there as like a developmental switch big in the playoffs. I think Boston's going to, they value that as far as space defense in those situations. Um, but it's going to be a project. It's going to be a couple years. I think he has to fill out. Um, we'll see how he shoots. But I, I like his ability to defend in space. So, uh, yeah, I agree with all that. Um, I'm a big, we, we are the Nick Claxton Hive podcast. I feel like <laughs> we've been on we've been on the Nick Claxton Hive for a long time at this stage. Um, I'm just going to move on. We've talked enough about him. Number 21. Uh, man, I'm going to go Keldon Johnson here over Romeo Langford. Cause the 
big question is obviously the jump shot, right? I think Keldon's going to shoot it. And I think that the Thunder just drastically need jump shooting. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely fair. They need, you want to say like Matisse Thibel, right? Because that's like the press the MO, but they need a guy that's a cleaner projection as a shooter, even though I'm relatively high on Thibel's ability to shoot, but I get where you're going here. Yeah, and like Keldon fits them from like high level character, dude. Um, Yeah. Yeah, just just a lot of fits there uh, to, that makes sense for me for Keldon to go 21. So you go on ahead and go at 22. I'm going to take Romeo. I just think that realistically okay. he's not going to fall much farther than this. Uh, again, a, a chance that Boston can take with a little bit of a, I guess, theoretical, maybe conceptual upside play. If he shoots the ball, you can figure out the mechanics, um, the two-way wing. I just don't see him falling much farther than this. So it's, it's like the most realistic pick I can think of. Um, yeah, I think totally reasonable. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to decide if I think Romeo fits what they like in guys. And I don't know that he does, but yeah. like the more that I look at this board, the more I think there is a real chance for Romeo to like fall a little bit on draft night. It's definitely possible. I don't, I don't know if he falls much farther than this. I agree though. I'm not sure mentality wise, if he's exactly what, Boston looks for, and they're very, very big on that, right? They're yeah. uh, very big on mental approach and like work ethic and the specific way you're wired. So I don't know if it's realistic from that standpoint. I just think I, I just can't come up with a lot of better players in this range that I think they'd actually entertain. Yeah, which by the way, that's what strikes me as strange about the Bowl Bowl conversations too with the Celtics. Ab- absolutely, um, I'm with you on that. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what to think there. Um, okay, so I'm up at 23. Utah Jazz, I'm just going to take the cleanest fit in the draft. Cam Johnson. Um, shoot I knew it. it. <laughs> 24, go. <laughs> okay, 24, Matisse Thibel for the Sixers. I think they take a swing on a potential two-way wing who doesn't have to have creation in that offense. He can be more of a spot guy, defend point of attack. They need guys who can defend guards. Uh, I think he's going to be alluring to them. 25. Actually, this is kind of an easy one for me. So I've got Luka Samanich at 23. He's my highest rated player available. Um, and he actually does fit a lot of what they need. Um, just his ability to play pick and roll, short roll, make passes, uh, play high IQ basketball. Also, like they tend to be a team that drafts younger because they think that like there isn't like as much upside in guys playing in their rookie years as other teams do. So... I think they'd be willing to like take a shot on Luca's upside as like a potentially high level role player. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And I mean, we talked about his combine before; it was pretty impressive. So I think this is uh, an acceptable range for him. I think that he could go in, like late first. Yeah. So go on ahead, number twenty six. I'm gonna go Cabin Gelly here. I'm not as big of a fan as Mark, wow. but I can't Cabin Gelly over Bull Bull for you. Follow, follow, yeah. Yeah. That's really tough. Um, either way is fine, I guess. <laughs> Kevin, I was going to go Kevin Gelly in, in this setting just for the shooting and like the late riser. I believe in his frame a lot more than Bobo, clearly. And I think you're drafting him for similar abilities as far as the ability to space the floor. Bobo is a better shooter to me pretty easily, even though I think Kevin Gelly is a good shooter as well. I just, I, I guess the realistic slant for me may be Cleveland sides this way. I, I don't know. I, I'll go Kevin Gelly. All right. So I'm at. 27 which is brooklyn trying to find like who is the brooklyn guy in this class that's left (laughs) i am gonna go i'm gonna go eric pascal here actually uh so let's say that Kyrie does sign in brooklyn um it seems like julius randall is potential option in brooklyn um it seems like kevin durant is still a potential option in brooklyn um if that's the case and they get 
two of those guys. They actually could use a big body at the forward position that can just like take on physical contact next season and just like kind of bang with dudes. And then also they like guys who can shoot above the break and um, who are athletes. Like I think Pascal actually fits a lot of what they look for. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good call. I mean, the system fit playing Nova and then just generally the dribble pass shoot ability in that offense. I like the fit. All right, number 27, you are up with, or 28, you're up with Golden State. Okay, this is really interesting. I think if he was healthy, I would pick Okiki here, but I don't know if he goes first round realistically, so I'm not going to take him. I'm going to go... I'm going to go Carson Edwards here. This is kind of a controversial pick, but I think he can give them some value next year as like a shot maker off the bench. They don't have a lot of shooting. I think he can be like a more dynamic version of Quinn Cook and run off screens. And he can, they just need spacing on the floor. So I went between Edwards at 28 and 30 to the Bucks as well. I'm going to go here just because I think he gives them some value next year um, in a rotation spot in, instead of Okiki, which I, I just don't need. I mean, he's a question mark to play. We'll kind of see about long-term trajectory there. But realistically, I'm not sure if they go this route, but I, I think it's kind of an intriguing option to entertain. So 29, I'm up. Man, this is a tough one. This is a really tough one. So the highest rated guy left for me is Dort. Okay. We we really have like, so my out of my top 28 uh, on my board, uh, they have all been taken through 28 picks. Okay. This is, this is bizarre. I was not expecting that. <laughs> Um, I'm going to go Dylan Windler. God damn it. That's what I was going to go at 30. (laughs) (laughs) Windler, uh, to me makes a lot of sense as a catch and shoot guy for San Antonio. Like there have been like, you know, sneaky rumors that they've been interested in Boyan, I guess. Um, Boyan is kind of just interesting to me there because uh, he can create a little bit he can knock down shots uh windler is not as much of a creator because his handle's a little bit loose but he's going to be an elite level shooter he's better as a roaming defender right now than like a great on ball defender but he's going to make the right plays he just kind of fits with what san antonio does yeah absolutely i think taking the deep threes this is why i was going to pick him for milwaukee is because he can shoot from like 30 feet off the catch and he can really space you that way vertically and put pressure in your defense so i, I like the pick you're up at number 30. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do something a little off kilter. I'm going to go Bull Bull. I'm going to go Bull Bull. Oh, that's the, a great pick, the, I think, for them. In the role that everybody wants him in, the Brooke Lopez role, as far as jacking threes above the break. Um, he has elite touch, can shoot from you know, 28, 30 feet. And then I'm not as huge on his drop coverage because I think he's going to get run through. But you have to play him in drop coverage because he's not going to play in space. So schematically, I think he's a good fit. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, th- this would be the best possible uh, scenario, I think, for him. To go to yeah. Milwaukee. And it's interesting for them because you can say they need cost-effective assets. They have to re-sign Middleton. We'll see what they do with Brogdon, Lopez in general as well. So they have a lot of moving parts. You could say, oh, you want like an immediate contributor, someone who has more short-term value. I probably would have gone Windler here if he was available. Bobo's upside, I, I just think at this point, in a scotic fit that's really conducive, is good. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Is there is there anything else that... I mean, the, the highest-rated guy is... On my board, Dort, Okiki, Ty Jerome, Daniel Gafford, Naz Reed. Uh, that, that's who's left. And Bruno Fernando. So a lot of bigs and an injured guy. So that makes sense, I think. Yeah, Casey Paul is another guy that we didn't entertain. Oh, Ty we didn't Jerome. take Casey. Yeah, so Ty Jerome's also a guy that's getting late first looks in some of the mock drafts I've seen. Other than that, Darius Baisley is a guy who could slip in here. Um, 
I think ESPN has them 29 to the Spurs. Those are another names to, I, I guess, to entertain. I don't, I don't know how likely any of them are to go in the first round, but they're definitely possibilities. Yeah. All right, uh, Cole, let's finish it there. Do you have anything anything you need to speak on? <laughs> can, we, can we please make this Wendell Carter to New Orleans straight happen? No, no. I'm just, it's, yeah, it's a fun week. We're getting down to crunch time here. We're both going to be doing a ton of podcasts. You have to write a shit ton. So as far as when we release the other podcasts on Wednesday, the sanity level for both of us might be significantly diminished. Yeah, my uh, two hours uh, that I took this weekend was to go see Men in Black International with Laura. That was... It was more fun than what the reviews say. I will say that. Um, okay. Yeah. Like was, it was not a great movie by any stretch. Uh, it was like mostly just a fun little, it was a fun little ride to take because of uh, the actors. Like Chris Hemsworth was really good. Tessa Thompson was really good. Um, and Kumail Nanjiani as like the one alien was every single line that he says in that movie is laugh out loud funny. Interesting. Yeah, I I might entertain seeing that. The, the most recent movie I seen was Aladdin, which was actually like kind of fire, and I didn't expect that. <laughs> yeah, I've not seen Aladdin. The I, I need I'm like debating going to see Aladdin because it's like a movie I'm theoretically not that interested in, but uh, I just go see everything, so I feel like I should probably go see it. the The next movies for me are Rocket Man, um, okay. Dead Don't Die, and probably Ma. Or Aladdin, I would say. Um, I haven't haven't made that call yet on which ones, but uh, there's a real chance that on Friday afternoon, like I just mainline like Dead Don't Die and <laughs> um, Rocket Man at the local theater. I'll probably just binge watch The Wire. I got through season two finally. That was a hell of a fucking trip. Um, <laughs> so I, I got I'm on season three. So I'll probably just do a ton of those episodes of Friday afternoon or Friday night. All right, folks, go subscribe to The Athletic. Go subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Android, wherever you get uh, reasonably okay podcasting content. Uh, That's certainly where we are. So until next time, though, we'll talk soon. Bye.